running boom of the 70s came during simpler pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runners Reunion Podcast. Good evening, avid Runners Reunion Podcast listeners. We're delighted to welcome you to our second installment of our second season. Before we get to the introduction of our latest guest, I want to throw the microphone over to John Gorman, who, in addition to uh, being a stalwart member, is also the show runner. John, take it away. Well, there was a uh, last night uh, I was on Facebook and I wanted to promote our show and uh, which was having Tommy Mortimer, Hall of Famer at Northeastern, uh, former great runner for Pilgrim. Um, and before that, we were uh, we had a meeting with me, Ron, Grant and Tommy. And I said, now there's three out of four of us have something very, very much in common. And I put that question out, what do Tom, Ron, and myself have in common? And I put, I threw that out there on Facebook and it's just like kind of blew up, you know, Jim Danzano and uh, Norm Boutier, uh, you know, a bunch of people, Jim Hebert. And they're all like, oh, you met at the Elliott Lounge. Uh, you met your wife at the Elliott Lounge. Or, you all ran in high school, uh, Rhode Island High School, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the string got, you know, really long. And, um, and I said, wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, some of the answers were right. Say like, you know, yeah, we all ran that in Rhode Island. But um, it, the answer is that uh, Tommy, myself and Ron grew up in Rhode Island, moved to Massachusetts. And the main reason is, is if we aren't runners, this wouldn't have happened. You know, mm -hmm. Tom moved up to Massachusetts uh, to run for Northeastern, met his wife, dra you know, dragged him to Haverhill. <laughs> <laughs> I met my wife, you know, at the Elliott, dragged me to North Andover. Now, Ron, did you get dragged or did, uh, she's from up here, right? <laughs> no, Lisa's from Maine, so. Oh, okay. Okay, but you were up here already. I was up here, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, uh, yeah. working at New Balance after college. Mm -hmm. uh, that's yeah. what brought me up to this area. So yeah, so that was the that was the main that was the answer. So uh, which is interesting. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So John, yeah. thank you. So all you folks who were tracking John on Facebook, now you have your answer. I Just can you wait? <laughs> can can you wait until post production is done and you can actually listen? So don't respond online. You don't want to steal the thunder there, John. Okay. Okay. Well, since John managed to do most of the introduction, uh, I think we're in pretty good shape. But just to you know consolidate this a little bit, we are talking about a New York born, I might add, um, a Rhode Island. I don't want to call him transplant because he he grew up his funk, you know, his formative years were spent in Rhode Island. And then he followed the running bug to greater Boston and the rest and all of it has been history. What a great story. So Tom Mortimer, thank you so much for joining us on the Runners Reunion podcast. Yeah, Grant, Ron and John, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, like everyone else, enjoy the Runners Reunion. 
uh, connection and it brings back a lot of fond memories. So thank you for what you're doing. I, I, I want to do a quick segue um, because um, I first met Tom literally at our second runner's reunion in August um, at, uh, well, I guess we were in Pawtucket technically. Uh, so Tom, tell me about the uh, event that you had to straddle, so to speak. So you could be in five places and once was, was that roughly what the, what the situation was? How did you justify given where you are now uh, to appear that evening in August? Well, you know, I think what happened was uh, John gave me the date. It, it looked good to me. Um, and then I didn't realize uh, what I had going on that weekend. I had just gotten back from uh, a wedding in New York uh, the, that morning. And then, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the day before, the next morning, the morning of our event, I had a, I was at a golf tournament. I played in that. I went down to Pawtucket had that event and then I had to get up early the next morning for the second half of the golf uh, tournament so um, I kind of burned myself out a little bit there and uh, day one in golf was okay day two wasn't so good uh, but was am I am I wrong in recalling that there was a uh, a negotiation that happened with your better half or at least a justification that you had to kind of uh, get around to justify your uh, uh, appearance that night well, I just have to um, agree to that it's not a big deal. Broad Island's not that far away. Uh, I won't be drinking much, and I'll be back relatively early because I gotta get up early. So uh, that's and I was I stuck to almost all of it. <laughs> there we go. Great, great answer. Well, uh, Tom, yeah, Tom, I'm not very impressed because Paul Hammond, he stayed up with, up with me with Charlie Brady and his friend. And we went to an Irish bar over in the McCoy Stadium uh, up till one o'clock, two o'clock. Paul got up the next morning and uh, ran a 5K up in, uh, up in uh, Weymouth or something like that. I heard so him that, talking about that. That's a, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was impressive. He probably I mean, has I, me deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not getting competitive, you know, but yeah, I know. But that was, that was impressive. Well, well, uh, and, and so we continue the theme. It's an unbroken theme, which is marvelous. So it, let's, as we set the stage, so you were born in New York. Dad early on had to make a move, as is common, certainly back in the late 50s, 60s, and all of that. And, and Rhode Island was the place to be. You have an older brother, if I'm not mistaken. And um, before, walk us through what was sport? What was activity prior to, let's say, high school? What were you, you know, were you an active kid? Were you a bookworm? What was, what was going on? Yeah, not a bookworm. Uh, I was, uh, I played all sports, uh, lived and breathed baseball, basketball, and football, uh, street hockey. Uh, ice hockey was a little bit hard because the, the ponds were a little far away and there weren't any rink, rinks near me. Uh, you know, basketball in people's driveways, the church parking lot. Uh, we had a great neighborhood with a bunch of kids and, someone was always up for doing something. So our whole neighborhood was active in all sports. And, and I mean, I think we've all, heard, we've heard it from multiple guests and we probably experienced it as well. So it's, it, you know, it is, it was a different time. There's, there's no doubt about that. So as we, um, as we kind of move forward, um, there seems to have been a, as, as, as we move forward a little bit, talk to us, if you would, Tom, about the 
perhaps the seminal moment, the one that kind of something happened along the way. Somehow you were introduced to the sport. Can you give us a little yeah. sense of what that was all about? Sure. Uh, I was in uh, seventh grade. My brother was in ninth grade. And uh, so my uh, father said, hey, your brother Frank's going to track me in the Cranston Street Army. So seventh grade, um, my father said, you want to go to watch your brother run on a track meet at the Cranston Street Armory? And I said, sure. And, you know, it was winter. It's dark out. Never been to Cranston Street Armory. So I had no idea what to expect. I'd never seen an indoor track before. I've seen outdoor tracks. You see people running cross country on the roads. But I didn't, I couldn't picture what an indoor track would even look like. So as we get there, you walk through these kind of large wooden doors to get into the Cranston Street Armory. Big, huge doors look like you're going into a castle. And then immediately you get this big waff of Bengay atomic bomb smell in your nose. And it was packed. Uh, the spectators were literally right on the track, uh, right on the outside lane. Uh, you had a lot of activity. It was hustle and bustle. You know, there might have been about, you know, 10, 12 other schools there uh, running freshmen because it was a freshman, uh, can only compete with freshmen at that time. And so, uh, you know, there might have been hurdles going on, dashes going on, and then middle distance and distance races. And so when I got to see that competition that close up, um, and I loved running anyway as a little kid, uh, I said, oh, my God this is something I want to do. I like this. So I went to every single track meet I could go to, to watch my brother. And it didn't hurt that he, he was very successful at it. And, you know, he pretty much won every freshman race. And then he it was very successful all through high school as well. So, um, so that was the, the, the moment I said, I'm going to do that. I didn't know I was going to do it forever. Uh, I knew I was going to play football when I got to high school. Um, I knew I wasn't going to play basketball but I still thought maybe I'll play baseball because I still got an outside chance to make the Yankees. So I, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt there. I'm not sure. Should we have, do we have to, do we have to stop the podcast now? I'm, I'm sorry. Is that, do we, do we have a contractual uh, obligation that we're, we're violating? Hey, that's still the New Yorker. Oh, okay. Uh, big right. Yankee fan back then. Uh, never hated the Red Sox, by the way. <laughs> uh, I go to a lot of games, uh, but that's kind of like what got me into the sport, you know, having an older brother who, you know, was successful at it. And I just thrived on the, the thought of that competition. Um, I love the competition, the team sports as well. It, it was just a different type of uh, kind of competitive high that you got. Uh, you know, I liken it to a little bit when I was in gym class in junior high school and you had to do wrestling. And that was exhausting, but it was you against that person. And in gym class, I had to, uh, I wrestled somebody and then I, I wrestled somebody else. And I had no idea that there was some kind of competition going on. Next thing I know, I'm at the school assembly wrestling in the finals and I, in front of all my students. And I was, so I don't know if I like this. Uh, so track it was. And then I decided because of the success I had in cross country as a freshman and indoor track as a freshman, I was, I, I won the States a uh, freshman in the uh, indoor track. I had to go for um, outdoor track because I said, I'm not the 
best second baseman. I wouldn't be the best second baseman in Rhode Island in baseball. Um, so I decided to stick with track. I enjoyed it, and uh, I was doing well at it. Had good early success. Uh, uh, Pilgrim High School is in Warwick. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about this. Um, this the the impact of the letter jacket. How did yeah, that kind so, of influence things? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you know, Pilgrim High School ha- had a little bit of a history by the time I got there, uh, and uh, one of the things that jumped out at you as a freshman. Even back then in 1972, you know, it wasn't the 60s or the 50s, but they used to have uh, Letterman Sweater Day uh, on Fridays. And so you'd see all the athletes, all the different sports walking around the hallways with their letter sweaters on, Letterman sweaters on. And then you'd see the the track and cross country guys. And they would have, you know, these big P on there. Then they would have something else with the state championship on there. They'd have a New England championship. They'd have all these chevrons on there. They almost looked like, you know, somebody from NASCAR uh, compared to, you know, a lot of the other Letterman sweaters. So uh, there was a big aura about cross country at the school at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many other high schools back then had cheerleaders for the cross country team. Uh, you know, we had a varsity NJV. Uh, we had 30 kids on our freshman cross country team and we had varsity JV, sub JV, sub sub JV on the, uh, the upperclassmen. So we probably had, you know, 50 to 60 people on the team then. And, um, you know, when I got there, they were state and Northern champions as a freshman and state and Northern champions as a sophomore runner up to Tollgate, uh, my junior year in state in New England, and then we were state in New England champions my senior year. Can you uh, describe for us that, uh, and I'm, a, I'm the outsider, clearly I was not part of the show running. I, you know, I, I won't take offense at that by, by any stretch. Um, the relationship between uh, state championships and New England's from that high school perspective. Can you give us a little sense of the color behind that? Because I'm not sure that, especially those of us who, you know, moved into region later on, that we have a full appreciation, full appreciation of that high school and ultimately into college too. Yeah. So it was um, uh, the state championships were probably a little bit more intense because you know your competitors. Uh, you had, you know, in Rhode Island, you had class A, class B, class C, and class T, and you competed, you know, um, the, the top teams and the top runners from those classes would all compete together uh, for the state championship. And then the, um, I think it was either the top two or three teams from each state would go to compete in the New Englands. And I believe there was probably, uh, if you were in the top 10 and not in one of the top three teams, you would get to be invited. So it was a little bit different. You didn't know the competition. You know, it's not like today with social media and, and everything that's available and digital, look things up right away. Um, you know, you, I, I knew of Bruce Bickford, but I didn't know him. Uh, and I looked at, um, you know, some of the past uh, results of the New England championships and I knew some of the people, but, you know, got to know them later. Um, but at the time, I didn't know any of them. So you didn't know what expectations, that, what you didn't have any expect, expectations. You didn't know the course that you're running on. Uh, so a lot of uh, nuances there. And that was, you know, probably true for every athlete that ran in the New Englands. 
Uh, talk to us, if you would, about, uh, and, and I'm circling back a little bit to Rhode Island proper, favorite course or the most legendary course where some of those epic battles that we've heard about from some of our guests. A any particular experiences kind of uh, stand out to you? Well, I mean, for cross country, it's definitely the Our Lady of Providence Seminary. Okay. Uh, that's where a lot of the big meets were held. Uh, it wasn't a long course. I think it was like 2.4 miles, maybe. Uh, but it was a challenging course. It was right on Narragansett Bay, uh, right on the Our Lady of Providence Seminary property. It was, you know, beautiful uh, to run on. And, uh, you know, you started out, and I think John Murphy mentioned this in his podcast, you ran that first loop. Uh, it's a half mile loop. And then you would start your gradual climb up this ridiculous hill that I couldn't stand. Uh, and uh, you'd see, you know, you watch John Murphy just sprint up the hill. And um, then you had to do a loop up the top and go up most. And everyone in Rhode Island who ran cross country, they would know that course. So, uh, so, so I just want to let everybody know that on the background that, um, Tom and I, I ran for St. Ray's my, uh, you know, same year, I, uh, Tom ran for Pilgrim and we were well matched. And when we got to the senior year, I, I kind of choked. I ended up, uh, and Pilgrim ended up winning. And we always ran on uh, LOP, like Tom was saying. And uh, our last meeting, I found out that uh, Tom used to practice on Sunday and it was on sacred ground. Not only did Tom cheat, but he <laughs> sinned. But he sinned against the Lord uh, for being on sacred ground at Our Lady of Providence Seminary. And I'm going to go to the Rhode Island Athletic High School Association and see if we can have the 1975 state championship for Pilgrim withdrawn uh, and. That's that's gonna the paperwork starting on Monday. Yeah, this is so. statute of limitations. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we, would do Sunday, we would do Sunday practices there, not every Sunday, but you know, being living. I mean, our school was in Warwick. Yeah, uh, we yeah. drive to the high school and we pile in cars. We drive there and uh, we would do loops. Um, in hindsight, I was like, why weren't we kicked off? You know, I never thought of it when we got there. You know, we're on private property, so yeah. <laughs> uh, they let us practice, and no one ever said anything. It was beautiful. It was a, a beautiful location. I mean, right on Narragansett Bay. It's yeah. not far from uh, where uh, Rocky, Rocky Point was. Point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you look, I remember being on the uh, my brother's boat going along Narragansett Bay. This is about a couple of years ago, and I, I just couldn't get over how beautiful it was. You know, and, I, really and back then, and I don't think we really we kind of we took it for granted, right? Yes. Um, you know, no pun intended. But, so, uh, so yeah. So it was really a, a special course. You know, I would love to tour it. You know, well, given given our budget, um, legal expenses are certainly not in the budget. So I think we probably need to move on a little bit there. But okay. uh, John, you're on your own on on, on pursuing that claim. Um, let's know how I let you know how I do. How you make out? <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, Tom, could you talk to us a little bit about? I, I'm impressed, even with the with the numbers you've got. In addition to the fact you've got cheerleaders, which is kind of mind blowing, but you have 30, 50, 60 kids on these teams. And yeah. um, um, what are you guys running in? I mean, is is this? I mean, are you are are you going to your dad and saying, "I need 
this or that? Is school providing? Give us a sense of, bring us back in the time machine. Bring us back to kind of what we're what we're dealing with. What you know? What are you racing and training in? Yeah, it was uh, you know nothing like today for our group. We mostly ran in uh, school issued um, racing flats or spikes and even training shoes. If you didn't like the the training sneaker that you got, certainly you can just go out and buy your own. But you know, you know, my father was a you know a working plugger, and last thing he wanted to do was take Tommy shopping for sneakers. Uh, so I I never gave it a thought. I never said you know what if I had a little bit more comfortable shoes, I think I could run faster or farther. It never even entered my mind about what I was putting on my feet, to be honest with you, because so many of the competitors that I was with and teammates were the same thing. All right. Um, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Finish, finish. No, no Gore-Tex. No Gore-Tex. Uh, cotton. You know, cotton. Yep. And uh, when it was cold out, you wore long johns. Uh, and that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Lightning round. If you had to choose cross-country, indoors, or outdoors, and why? Well, I have to go with indoor track. Uh, and okay. I, the reason I, I like that is because of the uh, <clears throat> temperature's great and there's no wind and no hills. So uh, for me, you know the conditions are always gonna be good. Uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast that had run outdoor track in New England, it was hit or miss. You know, you're having races starting in late March or something like that, April. We've all had outdoor track meets in snow, sleet, rain, uh, you know, 30 degree weather, 40 degree weather. So it, it, you never knew what you're going to, plus you get 85 degree too in May and June. So uh, it was hit or miss. And um, I just preferred, you know, I don't know, uh, this doesn't make me put me in a good light, uh, maybe great running conditions. Uh, it wasn't like I wasn't going to run if I didn't have great running conditions, but indoor track provided that. And I, I just liked it. I liked the, the, the fact that the crowd is pretty much on top of you. And uh, in all of our college meets and indoor track meets in high school, that's exactly how it was. The places were always packed. Uh, dual meets against Harvard, BU, BC, uh, always people filling the stands, uh, a big, you heard the, the roar of the crowd. Um, and it always came down to a relay race, it seemed like, in college. You know, it was, it was exciting. I'm not going to let you get to college right away, okay? Because we, we still have some high school to go, but appreciate yeah, sure. that. Yeah, so if the Providence Journal was describing you, would they call you a mid-distance star, distance star, cross-country, all around? What kind of – I know it's hard to talk about yourself, yeah. but, but what, would they, what would they describe you as? You know, probably cross-country slash middle-distance runner. <clears throat> you know, because didn't really have 5K, 10K in high school, and it – you know, so – two milers were called distance runners okay. you know in today's world that's not really much of a distance run today what back then it was mm -hmm. um and you know i ran uh, the two mile i ran cross country uh, i never thought of myself as a cross country runner and despite the fact that i did have uh, a fair amount of success with it in high school i always thought of myself more as a uh, track runner um, and you know in hindsight i wish i had done a little bit more distance training because just even listening to and following the uh on facebook the runners reunion a lot of the guys history talking about all the road racing 
And uh, as I mentioned to you, I used to take the summers off for the most part. I didn't do a lot of heavy training during the summer. Uh, I healed. You healed. Okay. No, that's interesting. Uh, and and we, I, I definitely will we'll come back to that. So, Tom, as you think about the arc of your high school career, you know, you've got, you've got cross country. You, you kind of hit your sweet spot by love and just the crowd intensity, all that, those perfect conditions you have indoor and then outdoor. What do you think um, or, or, or what uh, made you attractive as you began to think about or did you think initially, number one, you were going to run in college? Um, and number two, how did that process work? Things are very different today than they were back in the early oh, yeah. mid 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that when my brother got recruited uh, to go to college, you know, again, I, because he was two years older than me and I'm, uh, you know, freshman in high school, I'm not thinking about college or where I'm going to run. I didn't think that they, you know, they can even give you money to go there to run. So, um, but I think by my sophomore year, after my sophomore year, I said, I'm running in college. You know, I, I'm pretty certain I'm, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, and then because, uh, you know, my brother went to Northeastern, you know, that kind of, I went to go visit there a few times. But I, I think that um, each year in high school, I, you know, had a little bit more success. And <clears throat> um, sophomore year, uh, I was second team all state in cross country. I came in 14th in the States. And uh, junior year, I think I, I, I can't remember, third or fourth, I think I came in the state, somewhere around there. So it's, I wasn't going to win. I didn't win the race. So maybe that's why I think that I wasn't that good in it, I guess. I don't know. And then I think senior year, I might have been like fifth or sixth or <clears throat> something like that. I was, you know, uh, coming off a little bit of an injury there senior year. But, um, you know, indoor track, um, you know, we had this um, senior year, the Cranston Street Armory again slow track and you ran typically, you know, I think I won the state championship senior year and about no, junior year, <clears throat> I think 428, 427, uh, which, you know, was pretty good for that track. Um, and uh, after the junior year senior meet, um, my coach entered me into the uh, Eastern championships down in uh, Princeton, New Jersey at the Jadman gym there. And, uh, so I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And I just did kind of my own workouts. I did uh, distance workouts and whatever it was, because I had another week or 10 days to train for that race. <clears throat> and so we drove down uh, to New Jersey, uh, coach Bill Sheen from Pilgrim High School and me, and a coach from Moses Brown and an athlete from Moses Brown, whose name escapes me right now. And so we got down there and uh, it was very impressive. I've never seen anything like the down in Princeton, uh, Jamin Jim there. And uh, the, the huge track, I can't think how many lanes it had. I think it had at least six, but maybe eight. And it was a 200-meter track. And, uh, you know, people from all over the East Coast were there. <clears throat> and so um, I find myself in the seated heat. And I'm thinking, ah, how did I get in the seated heat? You know, 427, 428, that's not going to get in any seated heat. And then I, they're calling out the names for the seated heat. And I find out I'm seated number two. So I said, what's going on here? And my coach had told me afterwards that he, he knew that I could run faster than 427, 428. So he subtracted about 10 seconds off and put me down for 419. Uh, and so I said, what? And so anyway, I wound up running 419 on the button and I came in second. 
So I lost to Maurice Weaver uh, from Powell Memorial in New York City. And he went on to be a very good collegiate runner at Eastern Michigan. As you are, you know, segueing from there, moving into that final or junior year into that senior year, did you uh, feel like you were going to choose between a bunch of schools for that next step? Or was it or were you fairly streamlined and focused on only one or two? Yeah, I was only going to do maybe a handful just that's i only looked at a handful and to be honest just to you know uh, one little final part about that eastern championship thing uh, my coach said to me you know you come in you come in second in that meet that's pretty big you're going to get a lot of letters from colleges on that one and you know months go by and he's saying you know i don't believe it that you're not getting any letters from anyone nobody's interested in you so uh then about a week or two later he came in to me and says i found out why i said why well they missed messed up your bib number According to the report, the final report that went out, I came in last. So, yeah. Sorry. So we found that out about six weeks after the race. Someone got my bib number mixed up. And so I wound up coming in last and whoever was in last got second. <clears throat> and so, again, with back in those days, you didn't see those results. You didn't go in the newspaper. You couldn't go online. So you waited for some mailing to come out or track and field news to come out. So... That explained that. I mean, I got a letter from, I think, Villanova and, um, uh, you know, some Western colleges. Um, but uh, Providence College, I wasn't much of a distance runner. So they were looking for more distance, not middle distance. And they told one of my buddies uh, that much uh, when uh, he was a, he was going to go to uh, Providence College and his father was in, in administration at Providence College. So they really wanted me to go. So they really wanted me to go there. And so they asked the coach and he says, ah, he's more of a middle distance runner. We want a distance running. So, um, and in my senior year, um, in outdoor track, um, I wound up beating, um, his last name is Reed. I can't remember his first name. He had an older brother named uh, Reed as well. And he was recruited to go to Providence college. So, um, and he, I wound up getting first and he got second uh, at the New England. Um, and again, not a great time, but, you know, first place. And, and ha- so how did how did you end up ultimately uh, Northeastern? Was it was there a family connection? What was what's going on? there? Yeah. Yeah. So that's when my brother Frank went to Northeastern and I went a couple of times to go watch some track meets there. And one of the times I stayed over in the dorm, uh, the track runners used to uh, pretty much have what was called Melvin Hall back then. And that's where a lot of the track guys uh, stayed. And. And a lot of the hockey guys <clears throat> so i got to meet a lot of the um athletes you know uh in their natural state not you know running in a race uh see their personalities and the team just got along so well i mean they hung out together they ate together they laughed together they wrestled together so i said boy i'd like to go there and uh so i just decided that's where i wanted to go and um i uh I wasn't heavily recruited by Northeastern. They, they um, felt as though they had a stable of middle distance runners. And that I think they even said that uh, I might be better off going someplace else. So I was, uh, I'm still going. Uh, so I went there anyway. And, uh, and they did, they had a, you know, a significant stable of middle distance runners. Uh, they were solid. And uh, in hindsight, you know, I said, well, I certainly want to go someplace where there's, a lot of runners who are better than me and uh, I can improve and get better. 
there might have been a college or two I could have gone to, and I might have been their top middle distance runner as a freshman. And I don't know what would have come of that. Uh, thank you. Uh, Ron, uh, can you can you comment a little bit? You you, you have a little background here. You've done a little uh, digging uh, into schools, qu you know, qu quality of schools and programs. Yeah, well, back, back when uh, Tom was at Northeastern, they had quite a few, I would say, really great runners. You had Bruce Bickford, uh, the Flora brothers. I don't know if they were there when you were there. They were. Uh, Mark, Mark Leck. So not only you had great middle distance runners, but you also had a exceptionally strong distance uh, program there. Probably some of the strongest they've had over the last 30 years. I know recently John Murray's done a great job with the program there, especially with the women's team. But, yeah. you know, from a collective standpoint, that was a pretty stacked team. Yeah, I think when I was a, um, a senior in high school, uh, I get mixed up 76, 75 the season. Um, I, Northeastern was IC4A champs in cross country. Uh, so they had a, a, you know, a good team. They were, you know, running neck and neck with PC at that time. And uh, so there was a little bit of a rivalry there during the Tracy McOshea years. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Northeastern had, you know, Kenny Flanders back then, Mike Buckley, the Flora brothers, Bickford. Uh, they had a solid, solid, you know, five to seven runners there uh, right before I got there. So uh, another reason, you know, success, you want to, you know, go, it, it, that attracted me. <clears throat> and the, their track program was very, very strong. And even though there was, you know, Mark Leck and Bruce Bickford, uh, there were a handful of other guys, you know, Wayne Spinney, Kurt Stoley, um, uh, Steve Chandler. All these guys were good runners, good middle distance runners. Uh, Wayne Spinney and uh, Kurt Stoley got one, two in the New Englands at UConn my freshman year in the thousand. Um, and uh, I wound up running the 880 that year. I think Bickford so might have won the mile. So help me with this. I, I'm fascinated by some of the psychological pieces that must go on, you know, in runners' heads. Some people are attracted to having being part of a, a squad like that. Some might feel like that's a little bit much, you know, insecurity or what have you. But you know what you're coming into, right? I mean, yeah. coming out of high school, you knew, hey, I'm going to a place that has a really stacked program. Tell us, if you would, then how you planned, or maybe as the case might be, didn't plan. Uh, to get ready for your, you know, uh, your inaugural uh, collegiate campaigns, cross country, indoors and outdoors. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about the cross country one. Uh, that one uh, was, uh, it's kind of funny in hindsight. Uh, as I told you, I take a lot of summers off uh, after the outdoor track season, you know, running cross country, indoor, outdoor track. I figured, you know, need a little break. And in high school, I can get away with it. I could start practicing two or three weeks before the season, catch up, and then you're, you have a couple of practice meets, and then you're off and running and you're, you're caught up. Can't get away with that in college, and I learned it the hard way. Um, oh, you can't? You cannot, yes. Uh, so I uh, started training a little late in the summer uh, for cross country, and my brother said, well, don't worry about it because you're going to – you're going to go to a cross country camp and they had a, a facility out in Ashland. Uh, and it's a beautiful little setting that they have there. A lot of country roads to run on. He says, so you're going to go out there for a week. And then after that, you're going to run a time trial. And I said, Oh, okay, well, that, that's good. I've been running a little bit now, a week more training. I'll be ready for a time trial. 
so my brother actually drove me to school and I get out with the suitcase and everybody's got the suitcases all piled. <clears throat> and so they decided they were gonna do the time trial before the camp. So uh, we went to Franklin Park and you know, I'm like, oh no, this isn't gonna go well. And I'd never run Franklin Park before. I'd been to it, I watched the cross, collegiate cross country meet, but I didn't know what the course was like. Uh, so I wound up running the five mile course uh, in 33.30, which is, you know, horrendous. Uh, so uh, I, Everett Baker, who was the assistant coach, but he ran the cross country program. Uh, he, he was not impressed. And uh, that carried over uh, to indoor track. Unfortunately, he handed me off to Erwin Cohen. Erwin Cohen became my head, my coach, and he was the head coach uh, at Northeastern uh, all four years. And uh, fortunately, uh, I turned it around uh, freshman year indoor track. And so Everett's, Everett liked me again. Uh, a quick question. It, it's a footnote, really. Did you, in subsequent summers, did you run? Yes. Uh, so uh, none like uh, my senior year. I had I was a red shirt um, senior, because Northeast, since you know, is a five-year college. So I had... Uh, tore slight tears in my calf muscles my junior year. So I, they rested me. And then my uh, senior year, um, they, uh, in the breakout session from the prior year, uh, the, uh, the teammates uh, voted me captain for cross country. And I, I was as shocked as anyone uh, that they did do that. So I said, oh no. So now I said, I, I've got to train. And so I, I did. And um, I worked my way up to, um, number one uh, on the team for a short while. Um, I had, uh, I won my first uh, collegiate meet in cross country against Boston College. And I was, I ran my typical race. Uh, yeah, I probably ran 52 seconds the last 400. Um, so I knew I had a lot in the gas tank. I, I, I could do even better. Uh, the following week, uh, we were running at URI and I was so excited to run in that meet. Uh, because, um, you know, I, I knew some of the runners going back to Rhode Island and I was coming to a peak, <clears throat> um, not to put a damper on things, but the next few days, my mother passed away. So I wound up, um, missing the URI meet, uh, you know, my training went down a little bit for that week. So I, uh, didn't run that well the following week for the new Englands. Uh, I did okay. It was probably a number four runner that day. Uh, but then I um, did okay in the IC4As for us. Um, I think I was our number one runner for the IC4As. Uh, I can't even tell you what time I ran at Van Cortland Park, but um, little ups and downs. But I did put the effort in. I did train. Uh, we used to go. We used to um, uh, go to the Harvard Arnold Arboretum. We used to trespass there. Uh, not just OLP, and yes, yeah, so we used to trespass there, and we used to run. They used to have the spiral hill at Arboretum, and the, the the scary thing about that hill, it was all uphill, but you started downhill. So when you start downhill, and you know you're looking up ahead, and that's where you're going to finish. When you start going downhill, you know that uphill is even going to be worse. Uh, so I used to uh, work as hard as I could at that stuff, and uh, worked on my hills. Uh, so uh, just wish I had done it a little sooner. So. You started, or, or you caught the bug yeah. with atomic bomb inside those massive uh, castle doors of the Cranston Street Armory. Yeah. 
talk to us. Give us a flavor, if you can, about the Boston indoor scene, GBTC, you know, Greater Boston Track Championships. What was it like in those hate in that heyday? You had the Harvards. You had yeah. you know really strong Northeastern teams. Was this was you know were there rabbits? What tell, give us a sense for those of us who don't know what what was it like? I mean, are you on top of each other like you were at Cranston Street? Is it a little different? What you know? Give us a sense. Yeah, a little more room, a little more room. We actually ran some meets at the uh, BU Armory. Uh, that was okay. uh, you know you're on top of one another there, but you know a lot of the big meets were at Harvard, and uh, they had a nice stand section, um, and the stands were always packed. And it was, uh, I look back at that as almost like a magical time. Uh, it didn't matter if you run into the greater Boston's or the New England championships. Um, every team was vying to beat the other team. Um, dual meets were important back then. Uh, competition, rivalries uh, were very, very important. And uh, we had no rabbits because you had to go by place. You know, nobody was running for time. Uh, because you didn't know if you're going to double or maybe even triple uh, in a race to make certain that you, you know, could beat out BU or Harvard or BC. <clears throat> so you just never knew. Um, but it was, uh, and it always seemed to come down, especially in the Greater Boston Championships, the, uh, the relay race. And it would be so loud uh, in, in Harvard. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Um, I look back at that and the competition was so raw. And, uh, you know, we had a good rivalry, but I think we liked each other in general. You know, I, I never competed against anybody. I can look back and say I didn't like them. I, I think I liked them all. We got along very well. And uh, I think uh, um, we appreciated each other's abilities, the fact that we were running track across country. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of gentlemen I came across. Uh, it, it, if you could give us a sense during most of your four years, you know, so if we assume the usual suspects, Northeastern, BC, BU, and Harvard, am I missing any of the major players? Is that pretty much it? Yeah. I mean, once Brandeis would have, Brandeis, a okay. of, yeah, they have a handful of good runners, uh, Buddy Bostic and some others. So, but, but if you're kind of looking at that, you know, you know, game on uh, yeah. idea, say over two or three or four years. Who, did any of the teams really have an upper hand or was it really every meet was you never knew what was going to happen or every championship, if you will? It, it could come down. You, you really didn't know on paper. I mean, we had people, we had alumni who would plan out the results. Um, I, you know, oh, anticipate we, the results. Yes. Uh, they would go, we're going to get what well, they'd say. We would have to get third place in the pole vault or we have to get, you know, first and second in the shot put. And, uh, and we can get no worse than second or third in the relay and we'll win it. Um, and I remember it was, um, Bunny Solomon, uh, Northeast and the track was called the Solomon track, uh, tremendous track supporter. <clears throat> and you could go up to him three quarters into the meet against Harvard or GBC and say, how does it look Bunny? He already has the score down. He's everyone scores and he's already calculated the probabilities and possibilities, what will happen in the outcome and who has to perform. So, uh, it, it was yeah. No pressure. Yeah, right. Thanks. Yeah, Ron. no pressure. Right. <laughs> I, I'm struck by that because we've heard that theme and that refrain. John Murphy was a great example. He, you know, he he talked yeah. about McCurdy saying, "Here's what we got to do. I need you guys yeah, to do this and this and this." And Coach McCurdy was a great guy. You know, he was always uh, nice and kind to me. Uh, always talked to you, even though rival teams, 
you know, he, I could tell he didn't dislike me and he knew I didn't dislike him. He was, I respected him. And uh, he was just a, you know, a stand-up guy. Blizzard of 78. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, so Blizzard of 78, and again, indoor track season. So uh, I had an afternoon workout with me and a handful of other guys. And so we were going over to the Cabot Cage to do a workout. And we got there. And we, it's, you know, snowing pretty hard. It's already got about, you know, four to six inches of uh, slushy stuff on the ground. And uh, so I think we're going to be staying indoors and running on the track. And again, no wind and perfect temperature. So I'm, I'm happy. So we get there and Everett Baker meets us there and he says, um, you know what? I think you guys should run to Harvard Square uh, because <clears throat> if you go down Mass Avenue, there's buildings on either side of the road. So it'll help block the wind. And we're thinking, what a heart. Um, <clears throat> It's a blizzard outside, and he thinks because there's buildings on either side, we're going to be okay. So going over the Mass Ave Bridge, I think I'm going to lose my right ear because of the wind howling, and you're running probably at about a you know a 20 degree angle to offset the wind as you're going over the bridge. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we get down to Mass Ave, and we're running in slush. We're helping push out cabbies who are stuck in the slush. And we're soaking wet. By the time we get to Harvard Square, we're soaked to the bone. We're freezing. The thought of running back was just atrocious. So we went to the uh, Harvard Square and we uh, jumped the turnstiles, got on the tee, and uh, headed back to Northeastern and called it a day. And then, you know, <clears throat> next day, we think we're in heaven, no school, everything shut down. Uh, probably no practice today either. So we're all hanging around Melvin Hall. And then we decide we're going to start counting up how much cash everyone has so we can do a, a packy run <clears throat> since we know we're going to have a couple days off. And then the, the common phone on the floor rings. It's an old pay phone. I pick it up because it's right near my room. And uh, he said, the guy says, who's this? I said, oh, uh, Tom Mortimer. Who's this? And he says, Everett. He says, where are you? I said, well, I'm in the dorm. He says, why aren't you at practice? I said, it's a blizzard. Everything's shut down. Everything's closed. He said, oh, really? I just ran in from Watertown. How come I can run from Watertown to here, but you guys can't go out and practice? And uh, Everett used to run with us on, on occasions. So rounded everybody up and said, get over to the cage as quickly as possible. Everett's not too happy with us. So uh, we wound up running over to Storrow Drive. They'd, they'd plowed Storrow Drive. For emergency vehicles only, not open to the, the public. So we would just run up and down to Storrow Drive and then make our way through the snow and muck over Park Avenue, over to Huntington Avenue, back to the uh, Northeastern. But it was a, a unique time. All right. So have you thought over the years, why did he do that on either of those two days, day one or day two? What do you think he was trying to accomplish or what do you think was the coaching goal? Everett was very driven. Um, and he believed that uh, most things that you're going to deal with in track are psychological. Okay. He didn't care if you had a cold, a little bit of a flu. He said, that has nothing to do with how you're going to run. That's just psychological. You know, so he figured um, your physical training doesn't go away because you got a little bit of a cold or something like that. And uh, 
he wanted you to, he didn't want you taking days off. And I remember days into the blizzard, I think he gave us a speech about what he'd heard, how much John Tracy was training during the blizzard and how, I think there was something, I think he said that John got in a hundred miles that week or something like that. So um, he was trying to incent people to make certain that uh, you, you get out and do it. If they can do it, you can do it. So. Do you remember any of the guys, you know, especially those who were freezing their ears off, totally drenched with you? Did you ever, um, you know, look at each other at other races subsequent to that and kind of, you know, remember back or harken back to say, hey, you know, we did that. Do you think it worked? Maybe is another way to frame it. Do, do you think it instead? Do you think it worked for you? Maybe that's the easiest way to ask. I, I think um, I'm not so certain that particular one. I still, mm -hmm. in hindsight. It's, you know, again, I like talking that story about, you know, um, some people complaining about maybe running conditions and say, well, run in the middle of a blizzard and then, then complain. So I, I, I think um, in hindsight, I still would have liked that nice indoor track workout. Uh, but it was, uh, in all honesty, running in slush and snow and like that. Um, that was miserable, absolutely miserable. And then you're slipping and sliding. So you, you're not using the muscles that you normally do. Uh, I don't think Everett realized how bad it was when he sent us out there, but uh, it's kind of funny. that. Uh, but psychologically, do you think it ever gave you, did it give you something other than you'd be able to come back and say, oh yeah, you know, well, run through the 24 runner, miles uphill every, you know, to and from school kind of thing. Yeah, no, every, every run has gone through all these psych psychological uh, barriers. Um, you know, when you were Northeastern, you had co-op jobs or you had late classes. So you might show up to practice at five o'clock, six o'clock, and you might have to go run a 12 mile run by yourself. And, and I, I remember having to run up route nine, Huntington Avenue up to um, uh, past um, Chestnut Hill mall going, you know, all the way up and all the way back, the God awful run, you know, just terrible run it, it you know, 20 degrees out, pitch black, uh, a little bit of sleep in the air, so what happens is you, you have to get the run in, uh, you have, it builds up mental toughness and uh, you just work your way through it because physically, you know, you can do it. You just don't want to, but you, but you do it. And I think so pretty much every runner has gone through anyone in New England certainly has gone through that. When you think about those Northeastern years, an incredible squad, you know, depth and quality across the board. Um, when you think about performance in those years, what, race or races really stand out to you as that you'll take with you? I mean, that you still yeah. every once in a while reflect on saying, yeah, man, that was something. Yeah, th there's a few, I guess, you know, my coming out race was the Greater Boston Championships in 78. Um, and again, I know that uh, I think it was Scott Mason put something out there yesterday about the, the leaders in the uh, New England. And he didn't know if it was 77 or, se or maybe 78. And I, I was looking at the names and it could have been 77, could be 78. I can't remember. <clears throat> but at that time, I, you know, was, I think about the top in New England at that time in the thousand. And I got entered into the mile and Boston Globe back then ha had some great track stories and, and articles on it. And there was actually a story about the upcoming Greater Boston. Yeah, that's right. So that, uh, that was actually Rich Houston who posted uh, that oh, last night. Boston. Yeah, oh, okay. Rich, yeah. yeah. I want to give him credit. All right, right. Sorry, Rich. Um, and so um, 
so that was you know something that you're reading in the paper about a pending meet in in collegiate track for track for the greater boston championships so i wound up running the mile and running against bruce bickford and buddy bostick and those were the uh you know the the star runners and i hadn't made a name yet in the mile at, in uh, new england in my collegiate years yet so um i went out and i just took the lead and uh i went by the 800 and I think it was 204 and uh, I was expecting Bruce to go blown past me any minute now, any second now. And I can just feel someone coming up on my right, just about to pass me. And I look and I see it's buddy. So I said, Oh no, I, so I just, I felt okay. So I just pushed the pace and I wouldn't let him pass me every time he tried to pick it up. I just pushed it, pushed it. <clears throat> and I didn't know I was ex still expecting Bruce to come flying by me. And uh, <clears throat> so I was able to hold on. And I wound up running 4048 uh, for first place. And Buddy did get second, and Bruce got third. So that was kind of my first race. Uh, I was still 19. And 4048, you know, in the track and field stuff, you know, put me in the top, I think, 20 or something like that in the country at that time. Uh, so that was my first coming out race, I think. And uh, I, I'd won the New Englands the year before in the 880 uh, at UConn. Uh, that was a surprise as well. Uh, I didn't think I was going to do that, but because he had to run trials, semis, and finals, and uh, that was a, a, a tough undertaking. But um, and it wasn't Yukon was not a fast track either. That was a 11 lap flat track, um, and I wound up running I think 154 there. So, what about um, would you say that you had more success indoors or outdoors, especially in those? Oh, definitely years? indoors. Yeah. Indoors. Okay. That's, you know, indoors, I was uh, sixth in the NCAAs my junior year. Um, and uh, was that all I, American I, at that time? Yes. Yeah. And then um, and, and even outside of college, my best races were um, indoor track. Um, I ran three forty four eight uh, in outdoor track. But, <clears throat> you know, I had, uh, you know, in college, my fastest thousand um was a 2089 and that was against adam dixon another rhode islander mm -hmm. okay uh, and yeah. uh but unfortunately i came in second uh adam was certainly an up-and-coming runner uh and he went on to be i think he had maybe the collegiate record for the thousand meters for a short while um he really was a you know phenomenal runner um and i had nothing left in the tank um and then um uh, and then on, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think, uh, and just outside of college, um, when I was running for, I don't think I was, I don't know if I was running for Coastal or who I was running for at that time. I, I think I was running for, uh, as I mentioned, the At West uh, B team or something like that. <clears throat> so I, I had a couple of really good thousand yard runs races against Mark Black and uh, Billy Martin. And, and a lot of the, Rhode, the Massachusetts people would remember Billy Martin. Uh, Billy was... Um, uh, Catholic Memorial guy. Uh, I think he ran like 152 in high school or something like that, maybe 151 and change. Uh, powerful runner, ran freshman year at Boston College and then he transferred to Iona and he was an All-American runner. So we wound up uh, running, uh, I think it was something like the New England TAC uh, meet at, you know, at uh, Harvard and we both entered the thousand and uh, I wound up running 2083 and I came in third uh, you know, lost by probably three tenths of a second. You know, we finished uh, the last lap was just the exact same. We didn't move one 
inch away from one another, a pull away. We just, you know, uh, Billy had the, uh, the lead on the last lap <clears throat> and we couldn't pass him. He couldn't pull away and it just, you know, freeze frame and we finished. And then the next week we went down to New York to Madison Square Garden and do the same thing in the National TAC. I think it was the National TAC, um, but um, it was at Madison Square Garden and exact same photo finish as the week before. Uh, we wow. just ran, <clears throat> we ran um, bing, bang, boom, right across the finish line. And uh, one of the things I've got someplace in one of my boxes at home, my uncle in New York, reading the, the Sunday Times or whatever he was reading. And all of a sudden he sees this picture from Madison Square Garden and he sees a name he recognizes. And it's a picture of Billy Martin and me. Mark was, his angle, he was just out of the frame. And there I am, you know, Madison Square Garden and the, I think it was the New York Times. And, uh, you know, just being edged out by Billy and just being edged out by Billy and Mark was in between us. So wow. it was a fun time. That's pretty cool. It, it, it strikes me, Tom, um, especially, I guess, the Northeastern element of it, because co-op, you know, that has a ramification for training and because it's it's not the, you know, traditional kind of college experience where it maybe right. is a summer or something along those lines. But as you were navigating your five years there, um, tell us your thought about continuing on. Your fifth year is what year, just to be clear? Your, your final year. 1981. 1981. Okay. So yeah. you're coming up, you know, you've got your four years. 1980, we, we've talked to some people. 1980 was a wash. We talked to Bobby Hodge and, you know, what that meant in, in terms yeah. of Olympic aspirations and such. So 81 just after. But it's a different time. You know, few people are making money under the table, mostly on the roads. Um, yeah. But as you're approaching what's <laughs> next, because you are ultimately finishing. Yeah. What's going through your head? What's your psyche? What's you know? You got a great training group. You've got all these things going on. What? Where? Where's your head? Where are you? Wh what are you thinking as a next step? Yeah. So I, I graduated in September of '81, and I want to get married in uh, September of '82. So okay. that you know had uh, bearing on what I was doing, uh, and I didn't really. I was running uh, maybe fun runs, and like I said, I, I was running um, for. Uh, like at West for a little bit there and those meets with Mark and uh, Billy Martin. Then uh, I uh, gravitated towards um, Coastal Track Club. <clears throat> so um, I kind of like took a little time off uh, from the track running around then. And I wound up, um, uh, you know, obviously I got married working. And then I decided that, you know, somewhere around in 82, 83, I'm going to, you know, try to get back into it. And I was training, I was running nine, nine, 10 miles a night after work. I was working in Newton center and Boston <clears throat> driving back to Haverhill. And, uh, I, my wife and I bought a house. It was a fixer upper. So I'm working on that at night and trying to get mileage in. And then, uh, and I was running pretty well. Uh, you know, I, um, I was, I remember it was like, I think it was January of 84 and okay. I, uh, I wound up um, running for Coastal, and I was uh, ran a relay race, you know, and I, I ran 152, and all I'd been doing was road works. I, I didn't oh, geez, do... so the, the, the future is there. I mean, it's looking good. <clears throat> so I felt pretty good that with basically just distance work, I, you know, popped up in 152, 
it felt pretty good. So I felt I was on pace to, um, you know, continue training. And um, I, you know, I, if you go back to my best 1500 meter time, I think I was about um, nine tenths of a second off there about for the Olympic trial qualifications. So I thought it was going to maybe give it one more shot. And then um, going out for a run one winter night, um, I just pulled something in my ankle, like somebody was just pulling my tendon and I jumped sky high in the air and uh, it just, uh, it never healed. Uh, I had therapy, I had surgery um, and it, for whatever it was, I must've been misdiagnosed. And so uh, that, that ended the competitive running career. So I was, you know, 20, five years old there about. And uh, that was that, but I did go out to watch the 84 Olympics. I was there for that. But <clears throat> yeah, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, not only are you married, but you have two daughters. Uh, I think Three. that's right. Three. Sorry. Okay. Yep. Uh, but also a runner in the mix there. And so you've yeah. in a sense seen the sport through a different lens. And yeah. as you, it, as you think, and, and Northeastern too, right? I mean, it was right. at the, yeah. Yep. So as you, time passes, exercise physiology changes, you know, we learn more about the body, learn more about training, all those things. As you reflect and think about now vicariously experiencing it a little bit through your daughter's eyes and through that, what things stand out to you between your time and her time? Yeah, just a quick shout out. Three daughters and four granddaughter, four grandchildren, uh, one granddaughter. Um, so yeah, um, I loved going to our high school meets. I loved going to the collegiate meets. Um, I traveled wherever she went to Maine, to Virginia, <clears throat> wherever it was, they had meets I would typically go to. And uh, I, I think that the thing that changed the most that stuck out to me was that no more dual meets. Mm. Um, that and, and I'm sorry to interrupt for just a second. When was she in school? Just to kind of calibrate for for our folks, for our listeners. Uh, let's see. She's 33, so she graduated 22, so 11, 11 to 15 years ago, uh, 14 years ago. So um, in the 2010 timeframe. Um, so uh, and she was a middle distance runner. Uh, she had you know a fair amount of success in high school. <clears throat> a fair amount of success in college and uh like me uh she got she has lifelong friends as a result of being a runner uh you know the former runners uh they stayed close and you know again with social media that they have today they never got really too much distance away from them <clears throat> so they see each other fairly frequently during the course of the year but i, I would think that the thing that changed the most it's, it's you know invitational meets and championship meets is what what they're they train for it seems and uh, the dual meet, um, and I'm not saying which one's better, they're just mm -hmm. different. Um, you know, I've ne I never once in high school or college ran a race set up for time. Uh, it was always uh, to place. And, you know, if you got a good time running for place, great. Um, but again, you didn't know if you're gonna double or triple, so you, you had to just run the least amount of effort to get the highest place you could. And uh, I, I didn't really see that necessarily in the collegiate races today. Um, I've, I, I've seen, you know, collegiate runners in New England <clears throat> running ridiculously fast trial times unnecessarily, but then I learned they were looking to get a qualifying time for the NCAAs or IC4As. And, uh, you know, that was 
nothing we would have ever thought of doing in in our days um, because you have to save yourself for the finals um, and hopefully to place well there. And I think everyone had the same mindset back then. It wasn't just us. I mean, everyone did. Um, so that part is, is definitely changed. And uh, the conditions today are, you know, the indoor tracks, outdoor tracks are considerably better. Uh, the first indoor track I meet I had at Harvard, they had an indoor dirt track and it was square, just like Northeastern's track had four banks, uh, four turns, <clears throat> just like Northeastern's indoor track. Harvard wound up, you know, building the first, you know, preeminent track in the area. And I remember Nova did a special on it when they built it, uh, the, the, the public radio, uh, public TV. Uh, and I got to run in that race, uh, the inaugural race uh, by, put on by Nova. Dick Berkeley, Dick Berkeley, uh, wow. he wound up okay. winning the race. Yeah, good guy. So big, big change. And even an outdoor track, we used to run at Harvard, they had a, uh, a Cinder track. Um, so you don't see Cinder tracks around anymore today. Uh, are you optimistic about the sport? Track. And I want to come to the roads. And I'm going to throw that to John in just a minute. But, you know, do you think, are we, is it, is the, on, excuse me, on the track, are we good? It's certainly we are. the crowds, I, mean, I wonder, but, you know, what do you say? Yeah, the, the uh, you know, the number of kids in high school today breaking four-minute miles is just, you know, through the roof. Uh, I just was watching a race on um, a video last night of uh, some high school kid running under four minutes. So I think there's way more uh, today than there were back then. And I don't know if it's the training, the equipment, the whatever it might be, or what they eat. Um, but it seems like a lot of kids today are running pretty fast. And um, just because you don't have those names, that we it went out in the 70s, you knew all the top runners, you know, Waddle, Walhooter, um, Prefontaine, um, LaQuarrie, Ryan, you, know, you could rattle them off. Um, I don't know if I could do that today. Um, you know, Jim Spivey and in high school, there were guys like, you know, um, Tom Hunt and Eric Hulst, uh, Alberto Salazar. You know, people who ran, you know, 840 something in high school for a two mile, uh, 402 for a mile. Um, you know, you remember those names. And I, I don't know if that's the case today. It might be, but I don't know. I don't follow this close. Yep. Um, you know, so I asked you earlier on about you know, had to make a choice between cross country, indoor and outdoor. And your your choice was very clear. Um, I think a little a, a far less known element of your career was some road racing. And John, I, I remember you had a couple of comments um, that you thought were appropriate to to raise with Tom on on that score. Yankee Homecoming, am I right? Was that the a Yankee Homecoming? I mean, was that was Paul Paul uh, McGovern? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only thing I have for road racing I want to comment on is uh, and. Uh, in 1981, Ocean State Marathon was my first marathon, and you know, I ran like you know 237, and yeah, you know, I was I was pretty psyched. And then I I'm looking at the, at the uh, I'm looking at the results, and I see Tom Mortimer 241. I'm like, I beat Tom Mortimer? It's like you know it's gonna be a misprint or something like that. And uh, and I was like, no, I, was, I felt good about it, but not you know. Was, and then I find out from Tom. How many uh, last couple of, a couple of years ago was he and I went up for a beer and he told me the whole story behind it. I let him finish it. It's uh, yeah. it's uh, it was a, it was a marathon uh, horror show. Um, yeah, um, 
it's it's funny and there's a consistent theme here with my lack of training in preparation for these long distance runs uh but my uh one of my collegiate uh, roommates and teammates walt nevelis um asked me if i wanted to run a marathon to qualify for boston we run boston together and i said sure he said how about ocean state that's i think it was in october and so i said okay we can do that and um so i'm you know working and i'd go out for a little run here i'd go to star drive i'd like them a little five mile loop so i do that you know three to four times a week maybe five but you know i was running maybe 20 miles a week um and I, because I figured, who can't run a six, six? Who can't run a six-minute mile pace for 26 miles? Or to to run 250, I think it was like 630, 629, or something like that. So who can't do that? And I was, you know, 23 years old, and uh, 23 years old, and you know, still in physical good shape, not running shape, but you know, um, I, I said, I'll just jog the whole way. And then one of my friends said to me before I run the, ran the race, he said, just be careful because sometimes when you're running these races, you're going out, you feel really good at the beginning and you get this lull that you can really keep this pace up after, you know, eight or 10 miles and you still have, you know, 16 to go. So I said, all right, well, thank you for that. And uh, so I was running and we were just getting ready near the 10 mile mark. Uh, one of my uh, former Pilgrim High School teammates, brother, um, who was part of the 1971 New England Championship, Peter Bloomquist, he was uh, watching the race and he yells to me, he says, uh, so what are you trying to do? And I said, uh, 250, I want to qualify for Boston. He said, well, you're running close to 220 pace, so you know, you're easily going to do it. And I was like, I panicked. I said, what? And so I said to my buddy, Walt, I said, Walt, we were warned about this. I said, I'm shutting it down. We're so far ahead. I can jog in and get 250, I think. So I said, I'm just going to jog in from here. He says, no, I feel good. I'm going to keep going. So I said, all right. So he goes and I'm just jogging along and uh, running along. And about 22, 23 miles, Walt was six foot four and he had long hair like Todd Rundgren. And so, you know, I catch up to him. And he's zigzagging all over the road. And so I was like, oh, no. So I uh, walked with him for a little bit, get water in him, water in me. I had already stopped sweating a couple miles earlier, so nothing coming out of me. Um, I was chafed everywhere. Um, and so I said, we got we, we still got a cushion, so we'll be fine. And so I wound up crossing the line at 2.40.30, and Walt was right there with me. And all I wanted was you know, some kind of chocolate bar and a Coke. And I wanted sugar in me. I was waiting and waiting for that feeling of Nirvana. You finished your first marathon. You did it. You accomplished it. Where is it? And I just felt pain. Uh, so um, for the next several days, I had to walk downstairs backwards because my thighs couldn't hold me. Um, and I said, all right, I think I have a little bit more respect for this race. And if I ever run it again, I will absolutely train. Um, but you know, I, I just, it didn't happen, unfortunately, but uh, in hindsight, I wish I did run another marathon. Uh, I've watched many Boston marathons over the years and uh, enjoy it, but um, that was not a good experience. Well, it, it's an important experience. Oh, it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it's, and it's a lesson we've all, probably all of us have hit at one point in time. We yep. know we should do something on the running side and we don't. Respect the distance. Respect yeah 
the event. Respect your competitors. And um, I want to, I think we're going to close things down now. And Tom, thank you so much. I, I wish we actually had a little bit more time on some of the relationship pieces, which I, I think is a really fascinating element that it didn't matter to the school, didn't matter to the coach, a different time, a different place in the sense of that camaraderie, whether it was on on the hill, over Dale, on the boards. Yeah, the other thing is if you, when you were down the IC4As and one of the guys from the Midlands were on a race, you cheered them on, you rooted for them. And they did for you too. So you 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 rooted for the guys that you competed against in New England, wherever you were. But absolutely. But well, on the friendship that, developing friendships. Well, I was about to say, friendship and <laughs> and substance aside, um, yeah. it's really been a pleasure to take a, a take a trip back in the time machine a bit, to a different time, a simpler time, the blizzard of '78, atomic bomb, which apparently now is a Yankee candle. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it really is uh, it is all about what the Runners Reunion podcast uh, was designed to be. And, and we're grateful, Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, to have you, Tom Mortimer, join us for the second, uh, second episode of, of year two. Thank you for joining us. And we'll look uh, forward to seeing you on Facebook, see what people think in response to uh, now that our showrunner has the secret is out. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, stay tuned. Episode 3 shouldn't be that far behind. Thank you. Again, for all of us, thanks, Tom, and and for all of us here at at, at Podcast Central, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tom. Thank you all. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. We'll see you.